This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. I'm Anders Wallace, a PhD candidate in the Anthropology program at the Graduate Center. In this episode, I sit down with Bren Cavallo, who's a data scientist at M-Science, a data-driven research and analytics firm that uses unconventional data sets to uncover strategic insights on trends for leading financial institutions and corporations. Brent earned his PhD in mathematics at the Graduate Center in 2015. In this episode, Brent talks about the similarities and differences between data science and academic research, how agile design sprints can enhance your productivity, and the benefits of taking a boot camp to sharpen your skills and work portfolio for emerging tech jobs where credentials are always evolving. Yeah, my name is Brent Cavallo, and I'm a data scientist at M-Science, which is an alternative data equity research firm. So alternative data. So alternative data is essentially non-traditional data sources in the finance world. So often it might be something that you have to buy from an app, like maybe an app records people's location data, and you can buy the location data from the app and use that to do financial research, or that's just an example of a type of data set. Um, another might be, you know, web scraping results, such as, you know, how many uh, you know, seats are left on flights over a long period of time for different airlines, stuff of that nature. So using that kind of data to do investment research. Can you tell me a bit more about, you know, how you came into this work as a data scientist? Yeah. Um, so in the summer before my final year at the, the grad center, I was definitely spending a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, coming from you know, mathematics is a really great field to enter yeah, a lot of these general tech or finance areas. So I'd sort of been toying with maybe a very traditional um, you know, financial quantitative analyst role or maybe entirely just a developer. And then I met someone who was a data scientist and it sounded like that was a great job. He said that people are generally very happy. It would leverage my math background heavily, but also I'd get to learn some you know, more tech skills, learn some engineering skills, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, good work-life balance. Yeah. So that's why I, I thought that I'd pursue that direction. You said that coming from a math background, you could have gone into other routes, more quantitative uh, finance or coding. Yeah, I feel like um, quantitative finance is maybe the classic example for math PhDs. I mean, I might be wrong about this, but I just feel... You know, my first year at the grad center when data science was maybe not quite as much a field with a name, a lot of people were, you know, the main non-academic job would be more of a quant role. I, I'm not totally sure as to when it, it blew up, but certainly it seems like it was more of a thing when I was graduating than it was when I uh, started. Take us back a bit more to talk about your academic background and what your passion is in mathematics. Um, so I uh, started studying mathematics as an undergrad at Vassar College. Yeah, I, th I thought it was a very good department there, and I liked a lot of the courses I took, and it seemed like a really good area. And I, I, got, I was very excited at the time by sort of the higher mathematics that was much more proof-based and logic-based rather than just sort of solve this calculus problem. So it really seemed like there was a lot of really interesting stuff to learn. And um, as I was graduating, I really thought that I, or felt at the time, that I really wanted to learn a lot more. So, you know, it made total sense to do a PhD where you can support yourself while actually really diving much deeper into a field. 
I came here and uh, took a lot of really great classes. I always thought the professors here were really, really great. I studied uh, computational problems in group theory with uh, Professor Dalaram Karabai. I've always had a lot of fun doing mathematics and really wanted to learn more, so that's why I went here. What's a typical day in the office like for you? So as a data scientist, I manage a lot of processes that run daily and might output results for a product that I manage. So I often will spend the beginning of the day sort of going over automated QA processes just to kind of make sure that they all work. QA processes, like coding that's extracting certain data. Yeah, like for instance, um, you know, I might have a product that says, okay, we are going to tell clients that this metric should be this number, right? And I want to sort of make sure that for all of these that it, the things look reasonable, right? And that things updated properly. Like we're not giving two answers when we should be giving one answer, stuff of that nature. Mm. So I'll spend a bit of time going through that stuff. Um, there are people who uh, work on different projects that I manage and different people that I manage. So I'll often uh, chat with them about their projects at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, I have my own projects that I'm working on that I develop. So um, one thing that's very common in, in tech is that you sort of follow what's called a uh, I think it's called Agile Methodology. So my company, we do weekly sprints. So I essentially, at the beginning of every week, I say what I want to accomplish at the end of those, the, by the end of the week in terms of, you know, developing and answering certain questions about a product that I'm currently developing. So, you know, I'll kind of try to check boxes off that list. So Because that's a big buzzword too, Agile Methodology, mm-hmm. and, and listeners may not know really what that entails in a nutshell. Beyond the, the checklist function you described, what does it mean really in your workplace? So we've used it at both places that I've worked at. So my current job uh, and then at my last job, which was in uh, programmatic advertising. So basically, essentially, uh, you have someone, they may be called a sprint master, sort of determine a sprint calendar that might be once every one week or two weeks or a month. And people will, at the end of this sprint calendar or at the beginning of the sprint calendar, they will say what they accomplished in the previous sprint and they will tell everyone what they're doing in the next sprint. So everyone has, has a very good idea of where of what everyone else is working on, where everyone is in their projects. You know, potentially if there's something that you might want to use that's related to what someone else is doing, you kind of get an opportunity to hear what they're doing and sync up on that. I, I guess the entire purpose of it is that it's a very sort of regimented way to make sure that everyone knows what they should be doing and to make sure that the business is aware of what they should be doing and that whatever they're going to be doing is aligned with the business's goals. Mm. Um, I think these are sort of the main highlights for me. This is the kind of thing that for certain people, certain people take it very seriously and they can get very complicated in terms of how it works. But I'd say that those are some of the main features that have been true across both companies I've worked at. Wow, it's an interesting technique. It sounds like it balances, you know, this accountability and then enhancing collaboration. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'd say especially as a, you know, coming from grad school, right, you definitely see a lot of people who just, you know, they have a problem and they don't really you know, seem to work on it very often and they just kind of might sort of languish and, you know, take a while and then, you know, or wait maybe until something strikes. But, you know, in a business where things have to move a lot more quickly, you can't really rely on someone to, you know, just eventually work. So sure. you kind of need to meter everything out and make sure that uh, everyone's aware of whatever else's goals are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then you were talking about your day and you said you have some projects of your own. In addition, is that in addition to doing something that's directed to you? Yeah, no, I mean, this is something that that is directed to me. And I guess I'm lucky currently that I'm getting a a certain amount of um, autonomy in terms of developing this project. But 
Yeah, I mean, this is sort of, you know, you know, a lot of our projects are based around individual data sets we get. So we acquired a data set and we want to find a way how to monetize that for our clients. This is a, you know, cell side research firm. So essentially we take the data sets and we perform various analyses on them. Most of uh, the teams actually produce largely um, written reports in addition to a variety of products. But we largely on the data science team do sort of general data science projects. Yeah. So that essentially a lot of them would be sort of monetizing an individual data set by sort of cleaning it and processing it, performing certain predictive analytics on it so that you can actually use the data set to measure something in the real world. Like use the data set to measure how a given company's uh, revenue might be changing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And with this data set, it's a very high barrier to entry, I'd say. Meaning? Um, because these data sets are often very, very messy. Okay. So it's a huge investment, I think, um, both for you know any of our clients to create a team that would be able to do the same kind of work that we do. So ultimately, I think that... You know, that's sort of largely why it's useful for many clients is that, you know, rather than hire, having to hire a large number of people to go through the data set and that have, you know, certain skills, you know, you can just get our research and, you know, perform much of what you would get if you were to have the data in-house. So can you tell me more about the atmosphere in your workplace? You know, we work in a large office building. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly casual office. Very small, kind of open office plan with some cubicles or so. Not exactly cubicles, but they're sort of, you know, pods, like a group of four, maybe the size of an office at the GC. Okay. That, you know, four people will each have a desk within, rather. I, I think that, you know, the kind of atmosphere that you have uh, varies sort of team by team. But I'd say especially in my team, it's, you know, because it is a data science team. and It's a lot of people who are coming from academia. Uh, you know, they try to make it a little bit more casual. Um, we don't really interact, not, not, I don't, some people do on my team, but most of us don't really interact with clients. So I don't think there's quite as uh, much of a necessity for us to be formal every single day. That's, that's interesting. And one thing you mentioned before was that unlike academia, there's a faster pace to oh, yeah. produce. So my company is in a way a startup. You know, we've essentially been sort of adopting this strategy, I think, for around two years, maybe a little bit more. And, and also this area, alternative data, has really, really, really blown up. Like this is an extremely hot area to the extent that maybe if you were to become a data scientist, you know, have the title data scientist in any financial role right now, there's a very good chance that you would be working with alternative data. You know, considering that the market is so huge right now and that it's so early, I think that we're trying to really push out products very quickly. So I'd say, you know, one thing that I'd, I'd say is very true of my company like with any startup maybe, is pretty ambitious deadlines and definitely trying to, you know, help people make them. Was that a hard transition from academia where, as you said, you know, it's so much more unstructured? Uh, well, so my advisor actually was very focused on, uh, you know, writing papers and, you know, kind of pushing me out of here. So, uh, yeah. you know, in a way she definitely, and I think this is one of the good things about uh, working with her is that she uh, definitely, you know, made it clear to me that it's very important that, you know, if you spend time working on something, you know, maybe you're not going to solve a problem immediately, but you at least need to be able to sort of articulate what you've done and what you learned from it. In a job like mine, that's, you know, very important. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, one of the reasons that as a data scientist or in data science teams, you hire so many researchers is that a lot of it is very similar to academic research. Mm. It's just much smaller problems often. I mean, for the kind of stuff that I do, that's more sort of corporate data science rather than actually doing machine learning research as a data science role. But this stuff, it's, you know, these kind of non-trivial problems that take a certain amount of time. You know, when you're presented, then you really have no idea how you're going to do them. 
but you do kind of need to really make it clear to people that you're making progress. And then after you, you know, finish your problem, you need to make sure, or it's definitely good for you to make sure that people are actually using it and using it as you intend them to use it so that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can kind of get some adoption, you know, and, you know, move up in your organization and whatnot. And it sounds like you're, and if this is fair to say, you're describing it not really as a contrast to academia, but a continuation of some of the things you experienced. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, um, you know, a lot of very successful people in academia might take sort of a similar process. I mean, definitely there are people in, I mean, plenty of professors I've had here that write dozens of papers a year, it seemed like, which is in mathematics, that's especially challenging. I have no idea how some of them manage to do that. You know, I mean, I, 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 I'd like to think that, you know, they work very, very hard and they definitely have sort of, you know, these highly effective and efficient habits, you know, that allow them to do that. And yeah, and I think that that's also very useful in a corporate setting. So students could even take on some of this agile methodology for themselves to be more productive. Yeah, perhaps. I, yeah, my, my advisor had a grant and he, uh, um, that I was getting paid through a little bit. And to justify putting me on the grant, she made me write down everything that I did every single day. Okay. In fact, even I think, I forget if it was just a daily summary or if it was even more than that, if it was an hourly summary within the day. <laughs> wow. So I had to say for every day how many hours I spent working on any one thing that was related to the research that the grant had to do with. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not <laughs> quite so effective now. I mean, I'm not doing this on my current job, but, you know, I don't know, maybe if I did, it would be, I probably, it would probably be less fun for me, but I'd, you know, uh, you know, maybe I'd be more effective if I did something like that. One thing you mentioned at the start of our interview is that, you know, your company is hiring. One question that may fit in that ballpark is mm-hmm. What do you wish people knew about your field, uh, this applied data science field, that they may not know? You know, a misperception people may have. Yeah, I, okay, well, I can think of one. And this one might be disappointing for some people who are entering this field. So I'd say the, so it's, so I'd say the main thing that's important for someone, as a, like the best skill for, as for a data scientist at any company I've been at, and I might be a little biased because I've been at very small companies only, rather than, you know, a large company like a Google. The most important skill as a data scientist is programming. So the better you can program and build things, the better, you know, then you can iterate on any of your research ideas and test more kind of models out, do analytics more quickly and in a more thorough way, in a more replicable way, right? So good engineering practices and good coding skills is really the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And that in that vein, sort of data science is not all machine learning. So even though at every role that I've had, I've done machine learning and I've solved machine or I've worked on I wouldn't say necessarily solve, but I've you know, definitely spent a lot of time working on machine learning problems, you know, especially in terms of my day-to-day, you know, really what's most important is, you know, engineering skills and sort of problem solving, just general problem solving skills. And also for a lot of these corporate problems, you know, you machine learning is not always the best way to solve them. And, you know, again, maybe, you know, this is just, this is just sort of my opinion based on what I've seen. I might, there might be sort of better machine learning ways to solve things that I've previously have come up with or done on my own, but... I'd say that um, in terms of, you know, good business oriented solutions or just practical solutions for kind of having a product that you deploy that you want to behave in a very regimented way, often it's better to not even use a machine learning solution. Mm. Use something that's a little bit more intuitive. It's clear that there are certain things that, uh, you know, only really AI can do well and only AI can do well or like deep learning can do well in a scalable way. But you know, unless you're sort of a deep learning researcher that's going to be entering a deep learning job, then probably you're, or very likely you're not working with those kinds of problems. What do you enjoy most about your work? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely like the fact that I get to sort of, 
spend a lot of time solving these difficult, non-intuitive problems. Mm. I guess it is always intimidating at first, kind of when you see something and you have really no idea how you're going to do it. Yeah. And especially on like at the grad center, you know, I sort of have to put a deadline on this thing. Like even before I know really have any idea how I'm going to do something, I do have to say like, look, this should be done in some form or another in you know four months. And it can kind of be intimidating at first, but then you sort of go and you look at the data, you answer some small questions for yourself, you kind of put things into a much more tractable scenario and then, you know, can give yourself, you know, increasingly more tractable problems. Then eventually you can kind of come up with an idea of something that you can solve and that you can build and then you build it. That's a great model for tackling, you know, these complex challenges. But so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, definitely part of the reason I like mathematics. And and it's also fun, too, as a data scientist, because, uh, you know, you can spend sort of a while sort of doing problem solving, right? But then you have to build and that's much more of a concrete thing. So maybe if I have a project that's six months long, I'll spend, you know, one month thinking, one month building, one month thinking, one month building, mm. right? And it's kind of two very different types of problems. But the, you know, generally the building problems are a lot more concrete. They're a lot easier to solve. And that, that part is much more focused on coding and good coding practices and optimizing your code. Interesting. So what do you find the most frustrating about your work or your job? You know, well, I think with my job, specifically like this current job, um, alternative data is a very, very difficult area. And the fact that essentially your product is very reliant on a data set that you have no control over at all. Mm. But then, you know, your career is reliant on being able to use that data set to provide a product to people. Mm. And, you know, all kinds of things can happen that you know, just would not be good for me. Like maybe a data set just completely breaks. You know, these vendors, their technological infrastructure is, you know, very important to whatever process I run. So I'd say that those kind of unknowns and the fact that things can just, you know, break and it has nothing to do with you. And then the value of your work has evaporated? Is that? I, I wouldn't necessarily totally evaporated. I mean, I guess like, for instance, if a data vendor just said, hey, you know, we can't give you this data anymore, then yeah, that project has evaporated. Yeah. Um, but I'd say, for instance, uh, like, let's say that we have, let's say that a vendor messes up and it makes something look bad for a client of ours or, or, not, or, or, or we, and then we give a bad result to a client, mm. right. Or, um, you know, or, or potentially like a client notices that our number is bad or, um, we can't deliver something to our, one of our clients on time. Right. Right. So our client is ultimately holding us responsible for that. And, you know, this is not something that happens frequently by any means, but the fact that it can happen yeah. is very scary. And we have a lot of, you know, infrastructure checks to, you know, sort of make sure that that's not going to happen and that there's a lot of layers that would need to break for it to happen. But yeah, for instance, if, you know, uh, one of our vendors that fuels one of our products just says, you know, we're not going to give you any data for a month. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that that would be a major breach of their contract, and I don't know exactly what route would go down that way, but I can't really think about how I, on my own as a data scientist, could solve that problem. Did you ever see yourself becoming a professor, or you always knew that you would leave academia? Yeah, so so not not really. It was never something that I wanted to do much in the first place. Being a professor. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I don't know if you relate to this, but I feel like, I don't, I don't know why this is the case, but I feel like when a lot of people start in grad school, they don't think of you know, getting tenure as nearly as competitive as it is. So it's the kind of thing that, you know, maybe I thought at the time was, okay, you know, if I'm really good at this and it just seems like the jobs are coming my way, maybe I'll be a professor. But I mean, 
you know, I think, you know, my first week of grad school, I learned how unrealistic that would be. And, you know, like it made much more sense to go this route because there's never something that I really wanted to do. Like I never really wanted to be a professor. Okay. So that was a natural thing. You said, well, that's fine because this was a path that would open a lot of different doors. Exactly. I mean, you know, my goal at the time was really just to learn more math. Mm-hmm. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't ever really to, you know, do anything specifically with it. But I think if you had even asked me, you know, my senior year of college or the summer before I started at the grad center, if I was going to be if I thought that I'd ever be a professor or even if I wanted to be a professor, I probably would have said no to both of those. And I think, you know, a lot of math professors or a lot of students that I met at the grad center, rather, a lot of this, my fellow students, you know, they really liked they really wanted to become professors like this was you know, their dream. And they just, you know, they loved math and that's all they really wanted to do in the future. But I guess because of the fact that, especially when you live in New York, I feel like the amount of money you make really starts to wear on you. And when you're a grad student and you can only afford to live in some remote neighborhood and all your friends are other grad students living in other remote neighborhoods and everyone's in a three or four bedroom, Mm -hmm. you know, you really like the idea of, you know, what if I had a one bedroom in a central neighborhood? And that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that you can just afford immediately after grad school if you enter in, you know, one of these more quantitative roles. Is there anything you miss about academia? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a, a lot of fun here often. Um, you know, I mean, I loved a lot of the classes I took. Um, you know, I had a lot of really good friends here that, you know, they're still friends, but, you know, it was nice when I got to see them every day. Uh, yeah. You know, stuff, stuff of that nature. Um, and I really miss sort of the, um, you know, this is, again, coming as a mathematics um, student where, you know, you can kind of do math anywhere. You know, I like sort of the overall freedom I had with my schedule to be able to, you know, if I heard about a, you know, an interesting place in the city, I didn't have to go there right. after work when it would be very crowded. I could just go on a, you know, Monday, Monday lunch or something like that. It was, right. You know, it was very easy to kind of enjoy the city. I never had to take a rush hour train back then. Like it wasn't until I worked, honestly, that I ever had to, I mean, that can't be totally true, but but I sort of remember right around when I started working, being surprised at what the typical New York City rush hour commute was like. I never had anything like that at the grad center where my earliest class might have been like 10 a.m. or something. <laughs> so were there any mentors that helped you make the transition into your into your role as a data scientist? Sure. Well, I mean, I'd say that, you know, I've, I've certainly had a lot of, you know, my advisor and a lot of uh, professors that I've had here were, you know, instrumental in shaping me through grad school. I took a really great... um you know, just general big data class um, in, you know, sort of looking at the tools surrounding big data, sort of starting to read some, you know, very simple sort of machine learning kind of almost data science uh, papers, right? Mm-hmm. So sort of seeing what people who do maybe machine learning research, sort of what kind of papers that they'd write that might be approachable to someone of my background. Mm-hmm. Um, and other classes on data visualization. Um, but that one, that was a really, you know, really, really interesting class, you know, yeah. going to sort of you know, it had all these amazing speakers. I think it was Professor Harrell, like he brought in like, you know, all these amazing, you know, speakers, some of whom were, I, I guess, you know, really big in the world of data visualization, you know, to come in and just give these great lectures. And a lot of it was stuff that I would have never even considered thinking about, but, you know, just getting to see it out there like that was incredible. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, so, so for anyone who's, you know, at the grad center currently who wants to make a transition into, you know, data science, you know, there are a lot of great online resources, but I don't, and, you know, I'm sure that some of you are aware of those, but I also would say, you know, don't discount, you know, some of the really good classes you have here. Are there any credentials that someone looking to move into this field that it would be worth them pursuing or or is it still young enough of a field that there's not? Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say any specific credentials. Mm-hmm. What, what I would say, though, is definitely learning programming. So, again, so I guess by credentials, I mean, it's not like you can get it. I mean, I, I don't really know a certification that would help, but like... Uh, you know, learning Python or R maybe 
but Python, Python is the one that I've used at both my jobs, and I feel like that's maybe the, you know, best language right now to learn as a data scientist. I might, again, you know, people might disagree with me on this, but I think, you know, learning Python as well as you can is very useful, especially Python, you know, any Python resources that focus on data science or data analysis mm-hmm. is very important. Um, learning machine learning and statistics, I think, is important. And again, you know, for the machine learning, you know, I ask a lot of machine learning questions um, in my interviews often because the people that I'm interviewing say that they know machine learning and this is, you know, the one shared kind of, or not the one, but, you know, one of the few shared topics that we can talk about, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I like to ask those questions. Yeah, I mean, I'd say definitely learning machine learning is useful and can be very useful on the job, but definitely useful for interviews. Yeah. Has there been other ways that getting a PhD has benefited you in your career besides the, you know, hard programming skills? Oh, well, so I didn't really do any programming as part of my PhD. That was all stuff I uh, had to learn on my own. Got it. Uh, or I, I took a data science boot camp, actually. So I did this one called Data Incubator that I think I saw a notice on the wall of the grad center for it. So I applied and mm. I had already started learning some programming. They didn't really want to take people who already know some programming already. And they give you sort of a test and I did the test and uh, and then got into the program. But it's one of these programs where... Um, you know, it's free, or it may or may not be free, but then they'll hook you up with a job afterwards. So that's how they get paid. Oh, wow. So that's how I got my first job was through them. Yeah. And in a way, I guess, you know, so you asked about credentials, thinking about it now, doing a boot camp is sort of a way to show that you might have more data science oriented skills going on than you would have just gotten, you know, than you would have just gotten in your PhD. Right. And how long was the boot camp? I think eight weeks. Eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And then they hook you up with a job. Yeah. Eight weeks. And during the time you're applying to jobs sort of through them. Yeah. So you're applying to jobs that have a like an affiliation with them. Yeah. So this bootcamp model, I've also seen this in other mm-hmm. tech inspired. Oh yeah. Tech. yeah. It seems like it's a bigger thing now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the people who are doing it are doing pretty well. Are there any other uh, resources at the GC or experiences you had here that helped you? Yeah. I mean, I think teaching helped with my communication. You know, certainly. You know, at my job, for instance, we're hiring a lot, and we've had a lot of new employees recently. So, you know, I, I hope that, you know, my teaching experience helped, you know, teach them sort of how our processes work at, at my job. Of course, you know, just sort of focusing on a research problem, I think, really helps. Like, I think having a research background is really important as a data scientist, just because, you know, you are going to have this sort of very vague problem and, uh, you know, you have to try to tackle it. That's something that I don't think I would have been ready for coming from undergrad, yeah. for instance, right? So. You know, I don't think it's like necessary that every data scientist that you hire has a PhD or a master's in a quantitative field, but that, you know, it is rare to have someone coming from undergrad or, you know, if you're an undergrad with research experience, that would be fine too, I guess. But, you know, it's sort of rare to see someone coming from undergrad that sort of without research experience, but that would sort of have some of these, you know, this research mentality. So just being able to dig deeply into a problem. Yeah. And feeling okay with failure and stuff of that nature. Managing variables and... Right, being okay with failure or uncertainty, mm-hmm. being self-starting and yeah. confronting those questions. But I think math is, you know, a really good good skill for going into data science. So definitely, you know, being around some, you know, having some really great professors and, you know, trying to see how they approach problems and, you know, how they de- deconstruct topics. Um, like especially thinking about, you know, sort of if you learn something, you have to ask the question to yourself sort of why is this important? Like what's important about this? Why is someone emphasizing this topic over another like if you're saying something about you know like giving me a fact about you know how about you know 
penalized regression right then i have to say why is this a factor bringing up to me and mm. you know that's sort of something that you kind of have to answer yourself often knowing what the tools in the toolbox are and, and where and when to use them yeah and that will that, that helps you answer that i'd say if there's anything else or is there anything else that you think of that you want to add or communicate to students or pitch for yeah them? well i mean like i said you know my company's hiring so uh and your company is m science yeah so if you uh you know you can always uh you know, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, ask me, you know, questions or if, you know, if you have any questions about, you know, resources, you know, more online resources that I'd recommend for data science, I can send some of those along too. That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Brent for coming on the show to share his experiences in data science with our listeners. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Allowed published every other week during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically be notified when new episodes are released. Also check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is slash career plan for more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.